we're back. So welcome back, everyone. Here we go. It's time to get to work. I'm excited today to be joined by uh, Adam and Conrad as usual. So changing up a little bit today, obviously. I'm especially excited for this one. So we've talked a lot about our partners. And one of the partners we haven't talked about is the guy that sits here with us every Friday. So he and Adam have been connected for much longer than he and I, and um, I'm the new guy here. So I'm excited to step aside today and learn. So with that, Conrad, let's start with you. How are you two gentlemen doing today? I'm doing great. I, I feel like the Talladega Nights clip where he's like, I don't know what to do with my hands. So I don't really know how to be the guest in some respect. I'm used to being the uh, running the show a little bit, but it's gonna be fun. I think we're gonna have a good conversation. So I'm doing good. The weather's turning here. The spring feels around the corner, at least here in South Carolina. So I think a lot of momentum is going the right way for me personally. Good, good. Adam? I love it, Ricky Bobby. Yeah, so it feels a little springish here too, but always happy to be with you guys. It's a nice way to end the week, a perfect uh, Friday afternoon. So I'm looking forward to chatting with Conrad. Yeah, yeah. For me, it's the same. I love this time together. And Adam and I have had time just this week. We talked with three different folks that have just come from listening and following us on LinkedIn and stuff. So it's just awesome to be building the connections that we're building. So always great. And it's just, it's time to get to work. So Conrad, let's start with you today. So we've shifted chairs, right? I'm clearly in your chair here. I don't have a song, song question to trip you up with, right? I can't ask you what your favorite song is. We've checked that off the list already. We did. So do that one. let's just yeah. dive in. So before we get into it, Conrad, share the background in the VR space and where you're focused. Yeah, for sure. For those folks that maybe I haven't connected with previously, I started in the industry originally working for another agency. So back in 2014, this would have been, I started working for a web agency at that time. And we had really a growing focus when I was with that company into the web design space, specifically for vacational managers. So I started there. I worked there for almost three years, like two and a half, almost three years. And then I left in 2016. So I just realized there was a greater opportunity out there for me in other places. So in 2016, I started what was at the time, actually, 91 Digital. I haven't said that brand name that often, but that's originally what it was called previously. And then I renamed it into Build Up Bookings because that's obviously a way better name. So now the agency that I run and manage is called Build Up Bookings. And we work specifically with short-term rental vacational managers on search, social, and email marketing. So that's our focus. That's who we work with. And that's, of course, how we all got connected times in Adam's case through the years and Scott and I more recently, obviously. But yeah, that's kind of the connection, how we've got here today. We've got a team of 12 kind of full-time people now. And then we have a dozen contractors, mostly content writers that work with us on our team. It's been good growth. And a lot of the opportunities that have come my way have been from doing things like this. Again, the hosting part is fun and I actually enjoy it. It's a different sort of challenge for me and a skill set for me to learn and try to get decent at least. Don't know if I'm there, but I'm trying to get there. But yeah, that's kind of the actual, the thing that doesn't pay the bills isn't really being the host of this show, to be honest with you guys. It's fun and I, I like it, but the actual thing that we do all day, every day is like digital marketing for vacation rental managers, basically. Nice, nice. Yeah. So I'll let you grade me at the end of this and tell me how I did. This this is harder than I expected it to be. But talk a little bit about 91 Digital. So our first <laughs> month together, AP reached out to me and said, Hey, we don't know what to do. We have 91 digital invoices. And I was like, <laughs> What? You have 90? Yeah. So there you go. I that's how I'm familiar with your original name. Because I thought yeah, that's... why do I have 91 invoices? <laughs> yeah, when yeah, when I split out, I needed an LLC name. And spoiler alert, 91 is the year I was born. So that's just where I got the name from. And I couldn't come up with a good name at the time. So I was just like, I'm doing digital marketing, 91, digi like terrible name, but I was just, I needed something. And I later, I don't know exactly how long it took for people for me to want to change the name. It wasn't long, probably six months. But then I spent another 
who knows, year, maybe something like that, maybe a little bit less, trying to come up with a name. And I came up with about a dozen names that were the dot com was taken or someone wanted a thousand dollars for the dot com. And I was toast, man. I didn't have a thousand dollars. I was like, <laughs> ah, so I just had to keep looking and looking until I found a name that I liked. Number one, that the dot com was open and available for 10 bucks that I could actually proceed with. And then after there's an old Google Doc somewhere that I haven't deleted because it's sentimental. There's a dozen other names in there that I, I don't know, maybe I would come back to if I needed to in the future, but landed on this one and decided nice. to go from there. But yeah, the LLC name is still that. I haven't bothered to change that. So <laughs> a little throwback right there. It's Love like it. you, you chose a password basically. Yeah, it's your first day of like when you first get your first bank card, a debit card when you're a kid or like a teenager, maybe, and they give you the pin number and then it's that's just your pin number now. Like I, I haven't exactly. changed the pin number either. <laughs> I probably should, but I haven't. So you're just used to it at this point. Why bother changing? Awesome. All right. So let's get to it. So the title this week is marketing still important to the vacation rental managers. Adam, since Conrad didn't go with my title for last week, let me go ahead and start with you this week. So you get us started. All right, perfect. So I'll echo one thing that that Scott had already mentioned was um, how impactful this effort has already been. And one from Conrad's perspective, mentioning that he's enjoying the process and clearly we're enjoying the process and getting together every Friday as well. But it's impactful. It's doing what we wanted it to do. It's sharing the information with the industry that we wanted to share. But more importantly, as Scott mentioned, we're having really great conversations as a result of this podcast and the efforts that we're putting into the blog and the efforts that, that Conrad's helping us with. So I appreciate all the effort that this, is, this group is bringing to this. But more importantly, I appreciate the audience and the listeners and the people who are having these conversations. It's really exciting to be building the community that we're building out there. So to get us started, I did select this title and it's a little facetious. So I'm a marketer at heart, been in the industry for 15, 16 years. And my whole career in the vacation rentals has walked that line between sales and marketing. So the title, is it still important, is definitely a little facetious. But at the same time, I brought it up for a couple of reasons. One, I think it gives us the opportunity for Conrad to help us understand why marketing is important. Why does the industry need people like Conrad and the agencies like Conrad and support that he offers this industry? I'm a big believer in it, but let's hear what Conrad has to say about that. On the other side of this, I'm really intrigued by a segment of this industry that has grown up in the last few years. And let's just say from 2019 on. And that coincidentally is when, or I should say coincidentally, is when COVID boomed, right? So you've got this travel boom in COVID and you've got some people who had vacation rentals at the time. A lot of them probably refer to them as, as Airbnbs as if that's a noun, but it's not. It's a vacation rental home that happens to list on, Air, on Airbnb. So they built these businesses coming into an absolute boom. Now the industry had already grown tremendously prior to that. And then we have this COVID boom and you've got these people that are on Airbnb seeing some value with it. It's working really well for a couple of their homes. And they've doubled down, tripled down, 100x down on that same business model where now all they're doing is continue to load their business model into Airbnb. And what I'm finding when I talk to these companies is that they're not focused on marketing at all. In fact, I don't think they understand the client acquisition costs or the effort that go into that client acquisition and the nurturing to make sure that you can get a repeat guest and what the value of that repeat guest is. Because Airbnb and Verbo and the OTAs have done so well for them over the last few years that in their mind, they think that this is what vacation rental management is. They buy a home, you put it on an OTA, it books, you get guests, you just have to figure out how to clean it. I think, and I guess all of us on this call think that there's a lot more to this. Now we'll keep the operation side of, of the discussion away, but from a marketing perspective, I'm really curious about where you stand on that Conrad and how things are changing 
what are the gaps that we have? What are the headwinds in front of us? And how are we going to bring all this together? Well, I don't know if we should... Comp- oh, go ahead. No. So what I was going to say is I think we're spot on, right? Because this is outside of my scope, right? Adam just said, this is outside of operations. So really with this outside of the operations scope, I'm here to learn today. So I enjoy hearing both from you. So Conrad, why don't you get started? And I think we go back to where we were when we were prepping to, to jump on live here, right? We were having some great conversations. So Conrad, pick that back up and let's go. No, I liked your, when. so before we hit record, you were talking about headwinds, right? And when the things that you're back and when it's in your face, it's a completely different environment. And people are now about to face a brand new environment. I think the, the analogy that I would do being a junior golf growing up, and that was what I wanted to focus on is you go and play a new course and you have to play it from the tips and, ooh, it's 7,200 yards. And it's a lot harder to do that than it was the one that you're, the turf you're used to playing on that you played a million times. And that's kind of what I think people are about to face is they're about to face a much more difficult environment. I don't know, though, Adam, if I would completely separate operational excellence with marketing, because I think there's companies that kind of fall flat on their face operationally, and it does impact the marketing, because what happens? They have a negative brand perception associated with their company. So like when a company reaches out to me, I'll often go look on their website. I'll go look at their Google reviews, their, in some cases, their OTA reviews, if I can find them on Airbnb and Verbo and things like that. And I'll see if they're any good or not. It's really like we're already in a competitive environment. If you are then phoning it in on like cleaning or property maintenance, or you have bad reviews, or your cancellation policies are ridiculously strict and you would keep someone's money for any reason and that reflects in bad reviews online it makes marketing a lot harder a lot more challenging to actually promote something that people don't really want to associate with i've had clients that i've worked with in the past that have 3.5 out of five stars on google and i think that's the first perception someone has when they go and search for you Their, your brand name on google is the, a terrible brand perception of your company so i do think they're intrinsically linked together And it's very challenging, I think, to completely separate marketing from operations as far as like company health. And maybe that's the point that I want to get to with what you're saying there is that I think the people that you're talking about, Adam, have never thought about the health of the company. They just think, oh, I'm like Airbnb is like this ship going through the ocean and I'm like a barnacle attached to it. And as long as I just stay there, I can get from England to America and land in the right spot. Right. That's their (laughs) thought process. They don't realize that like Airbnb, that ship could go down and they might go down with it. They've never thought about that. I'll give you an analogy that I think is pretty apt. So my dad, for a long time, his sort of side hustle, if you will, he had a different career, a different business, not in this space at all. But his side hustle was buying and selling guitars. So he's a musician and he likes to play music a lot. And he would buy and sell left-handed guitars. That's his specialty because he's left-handed. And less than 1% of guitar players are left-handed on eBay. And in his mind, from let's say 99 to 2005, eBay was far and away the best place to be buying and selling guitars, any guitar, because it had the best marketplace. You could find a lot of buyers. He could, he knew efficiencies in the marketplace where he could buy a guitar for 800 bucks and flip it for 2000 all day long, right? He knew all those mechanics and characteristics. Once it got a little bit further along, eBay became a worse and worse spot. Why? Because more people came in and the price of the guitars went up. It wasn't as cheap to acquire these vintage pieces that he was looking at. And the, the interest went down a little bit and the margins were being compressed. And I think that's what happens a lot with Where we're at right now in the marketplace, flipping back over to the vacation rental side, is that your rates may be going down right now if you're trying to remain competitive. Your costs may be going up in several areas. It could be marketing. It could be operations. It could be a million things. And you don't realize that, ooh, the numbers that I projected and I put into a spreadsheet, I heard this the other day too. I loved it. A pro forma. I never heard this before. It's called guessing with a spreadsheet. Someone said that to me the other day. I'm like, oh, that's perfect. (laughs) So they made these pro formas in 2020, guessing with a spreadsheet. And then today, those numbers don't work out at all. And it's because they bottle completely unrealistic numbers for acquisition. 
to your point from a second ago, Adam. They some of the people are getting away with this three percent model of oh, I pay three percent and then that's all my marketing costs. Mm-hmm. That's ridiculous. It's just the guest is subsidizing a part of that on the Airbnb front at least by paying that twelve percent. And then of course, if you're PMS connected now, you do have to pay that fifteen to eighteen percent fee on Airbnb. Then it looks a little bit more tangible to you. You can see the rate going out and the money that you're losing on that reservation. But people just aren't thinking about it, or maybe they're just going towards the path of least resistance. And I think that's where you're going to see some flaws and some real issues popping up as people who are going for that easy path. They want it to be easy and I want it to be easy, but it's not necessarily going to be the case forever. So the best time to, what's the expression? Best time to plant a seed is 10 years ago. The next best time is today. That's kind of how I feel about the marketing side of things, right? The best time for you to think about marketing was when you had great headwinds and things were going in your favor. The second best time is probably now, but just be aware that you're entering an, into a much more challenging marketplace today than you were 24 months ago. That's my takeaway. Yeah, and I agree with all of that. In fact, I appreciate your perspective on operations. I completely agree with that. I think that they go hand in a lot of different ways, but at the, to your point, one of the earliest ones is going to be from a review perspective. People are going to search, they're going to see things, and then as a result of that's going to impact what your marketing is, regardless of what you happen to be saying and how great you think you are. People are going to see reviews and that's one of the first things they're going to see. And at the end of the day, guest experience is what everybody focuses on and guest experience is reliant on operations and what happens out in the field. So I completely agree with that. The only reason I was separating it a little bit in this particular discussion is just so we could focus specifically on that marketing side of things and figure out what are those priorities from a marketing perspective. Because at the end of the day, I do think that operations in my mind goes Uh, Probably if I had to split it down the middle, I'd say 50% is going to be a marketing focus. The other 50% is going to be on an operations perspective. Everything else is just part of those two big worlds and they come together. Just separating it down the middle and having a, a marketing discussion versus an operation discussion. I'm curious about where you see those priorities are. And I think that this will start to pull away at some of those other threads that we just started to touch on because you've got the experience and you've worked with the experienced vacation rental managers that think of themselves as vacation rental managers, right? They've got a full marketing plan. They've got a full marketing budget. They've got a full marketing team. The people that we're talking about, I would categorize them as hosts. They think of themselves as hosts. They might be calling themselves as property managers. They might not realize that they're that barnacle, but they're building a business model as a barnacle attached to a ship. And I think that as we pull apart some of these pieces and where you see the priorities are from a marketing perspective, Not only can we reinforce what the good companies, the good vacation rental managers are doing and helping people learn from what they're doing, but we can also hopefully open the eyes of the host so that they recognize, to your point, now is the time to start doing this. Actually, 10 years ago, whenever you started was the time to do it, but the next best time is today. So as this is changing, as this market shifts and we see some headwinds, and we've talked about this, I think that we're probably in the most crucial time of 2023 for vacation rental managers, and it's only going to get more crucial every day we go forward. The booking window is now. These companies need to get these reservations. Now, Scott and I are faced with similar things because we're in the process of starting Casago Del Mar Beach Vacations up in Ocean City. So I'll push this back to you, Conrad, and I'm curious about your priorities and where do you focus things. And I'll let you take it in the direction you want, but I'm curious from a couple different perspectives. One, what do you see as the marketing priorities today for vacation rental managers And then two, and I think Scott and I fall in this category because we're in the process of starting a management company, but I think the hosts that we talked about also fall in this category because they might have to refocus some of their efforts into the marketing stage. So if you were a new company, what what do you think those priorities are and are they different from an established company? 
Mm. So I think actually the first thing to start at is the property itself, honestly, because when you're entering that property into the marketplace and you're saying, come book this place, right? There has to be something that would make someone want to do that. So I'll put a link in the show notes to this, but I wrote an article last summer and it, the title of it, it's a LinkedIn post that I did. What makes a vacation rental actually unique? Because people say this all the time. Oh, well, I have a unique property. It has these characteristics, but very few properties I think actually meet the characteristics of a unique property. And you see it actually, do, you do see it a little bit more on the true Airbnb side where people have A-frames and potatoes and cabins and crazy locations. And some properties are just inher inherently unique, right? Just by the fact of their location or where they are or the design of the property and things like that. But most of the clients we work with don't, to be completely honest, don't have unbelievably differentiated unique properties. So let's go to the Outer Banks market, Adam, which you obviously know well. A lot of stuff in the Outer Banks functionally is pretty similar, right? If you were to walk down the beach in Nag said, go from Kill Devil's Hill kill Devil Hills Grill, walk north and see the next 800 beach houses, 700 of them would look pretty similar. Some are a little yes. bit smaller, some a little bit bigger, some yellow, some blue, but let's be honest, functionally they're the same. So that my first angle is how can I make this property seem unique or at least position this property to make it a little bit more appealing than the other 700 beach houses in the Outer Banks? And I think the first thing to look for is the property actually serving an what I call an addressable need. So if there's 50,000 properties in the Outer Banks or there's 25,000 properties within two miles of Disney World, which I believe is the case, how can you actually make your property stand out? You have to make it something, you have to position it in a way, both on like your own marketing, and that would include the OTAs in my opinion, and also the marketing that you do for the property on your side of things, that make it seem like it actually has something very specific as a use case. So having the right bedroom bathroom setup, having the, it has this type of view, it has the location is ideal for these reasons. There's a distinction and a uniqueness to the property aesthetically. It's designed in an appealing way. It photographs well. It looks nice. We have the right kind of setup from a marketing perspective there. Can I address a specific guest needs? For example, we have a client who's having one property that's doing very well right now. It's a lower floor property, and it's one of the few ADA compliant properties in this condo building. So it has a unique need where it fits folks that maybe have mobility concerns. They need to have a wheelchair. And the other 85 condos in this particular complex don't have that specific use case. So this property is doing better than others because people are looking for that use case. That's not anything that's really high end on the, on the marketing execution scale. That's just making something a little bit more useful. So I think the first thing to look at is how unique and how useful are my actual properties that I'm marketing. That's like your, that's like your, Amber says this from Vtrip. She talks about merchandising. Like if you go to a high end retail store, the way that they lay out the clothes is actually thought of. And there's a lot of work and effort that goes into the way that Neiman Marcus does a display because they want you to think that shirt or that dress or that purse or those shoes, whatever is appealing beyond just the functional nature of the fact that it's just a shirt or it's just a dress or it's just a pair of shoes or whatever the case may be. So I think that that's a very important consideration. That's something that I look at now. How can you make the property more useful for more people? And how can you make it appealing to more people with respect to interior design, photography, the presentation of the property? So that's maybe starts a lower, a level lower than you were saying a second ago, Adam, but I think that's an important thing to think about. Well, I wasn't what, what expecting, yeah, I wasn't expecting yeah. you to go there, but I'm happy you did because I wholeheartedly agree with everything you said. Do you get into those type of conversations with your clients or does it depend on the size? Yeah, I think it depends on the sizes. And that's the thing is that I'm not an interior designer. I'm not a photographer. So I can look at something and tell you, look, you're not stacking up to the other people in the marketplace because go look at this and look at how, you know, the attention that this property is getting, look at yours and you can see the delta between the two. So I think we're always happy to give advice in that respect, but it's ultimately, I think that's the value. That's a lot of the value that the manager should be driving in my opinion too, is the manager mm -hmm. should be looking at it and saying, this is what I'm putting out into the marketplace. This is what I, this is how I want people to perceive my company. Because what you choose to list is your, what your company is, by the way. Now, 
Now we talked to Brooke two weeks ago. And one thing that I have seen under the hood a little bit for folks that go on to Venturi is everybody on the Venturi platform wants to reach out to the highest end homes, the luxury homes that have the best gross revenue. Of course they do, right? It's we as men, or if you're a man looking for a woman, you want the most attractive woman, right? Or vice versa, right? These are what we're, these are what we're drawn to, right? The things that have the highest revenue or that are the most appealing. But then you go on their website and you that they have 27 two bedroom condos on their website currently. So I'm like, your brand perception today is that you are a manager of condo inventory, which isn't necessarily a bad thing at all by any stretch of the imagination. But if I was a owner of a $5 million luxury beachfront house, and I went to your website and saw 20 mid-range condos, why would there, there's no congruency there. I couldn't connect my $5 million house with your 20 condos. That doesn't make sense to me. So a lot of, I've said this before too, Brooke and I've talked about this before too, I think a lot of owner marketing is guest marketing. But really what I'm saying by that is I'm saying that your brand perception is like what people perceive your brand to be is what it is. Whether you say, oh no, I can manage that house and do a good job. Maybe you better get 10 of them first and then show that 11th owner, hey, look at the good job I did on these 10 and then I can manage your $5 million beach house too. So so even though it's not necessarily something that we like would advise on or give advice on, or that's not like the scope of our engagement with clients, it's what I look at now when I get a contact form fill out or someone reaches out to me, I go and look and see what are you offering? What are you putting out into the marketplace? And do you have a gem that needs some polish? I think that's probably where I can excel best. Or do you have something that's mediocre and you're trying to figure out a way to make that mediocre property or mediocre, you know, presence in the marketplace seem higher than it is. It, that can still be done. I think we do that actually with some of our clients today to be completely transparent with you, but it's a lot harder. It is, to, to Scott's point earlier from our conversation before we were recording, it's biking into the wind, not with the wind behind you. So I think that's a very important thing for people to consider. What's the perception of your brand? How do people even perceive your company with the properties that you list? And how do you position the properties, whether it's on an OTA or your own website? Yeah, it's funny, Conrad. So you, I'm going to take you back to when you were getting property by property, right? Because I, I think there's a lot of power in that. And Adam and I are working on something that we're going to get into probably next episode. But Conrad, even look at some of these high-end homes, right? And I've seen you post about pictures on LinkedIn, and there's a couple of them that are pretty priceless where they had the listing picture and there's a chair and wires everywhere. But think about seeding, <laughs> <That's my> right? <laughs> so go back to the, your high-end listings, Conrad, and go through and it's this high-end house, 16 occupancy, right? Looks amazing. And then click to the dining room picture. And what do you find in most cases? Eight chairs, mm. 10 chairs. So it's things like that. Because I hear what you're talking about, usability and all those things. From our perspective, we're even taking it down to say, as we're onboarding properties, we're starting at that listing level. And we're starting to mm -hmm. say, hey, in order to be in this luxury, right? if you're 16, there better be 16 places to sit, right? That's why you're all there, right? You open up the counter, or the cabinets, right, in 16, and there's 12 classes, right? And you can go, another problem, right? So it's funny, right? You guys are up here at Brand, right? And again, the operations guy, I come back down here, and you get into those details of usability and go, you're selling this great thing, right? You've got this great listing, but there's just these marks that people are missing, right? And I go back to, there is marketing in that. That's where I would say, that's the one place where I'm a little bit of a marketer, right? Because I look in and say, if this is the product I'm serving, then it's going to fit those needs, right? It's going to be stocked. It's going to have seating for everyone. So it's interesting that you touched on that, right? Because I do think it, it starts at the lowest level. And you go back to our conversation at the beginning. I think that's the difference between a VRM mindset mm -hmm. and the host mindset, right? I think it's two mm -hmm. very different things. I hesitate to mention them because I don't even want to give this idea any oxygen, to be completely honest with you. But there's a million Facebook groups out there. And I stumbled my way into a few of these for people that are newer hosts, to Adam's point from, from earlier. And I'm always shocked by the fact that someone would spend 
a million, two million dollars or something like that on a nice property in some cases in a in-demand vacation market. And then they're like, how can I get the cheapest bed? How can I get the cheapest, <laughs> to your point, how can I do the cheapest amount of furnishings or finishings or whatever you want to call it, right? Consumable items. How can I have the cheapest soap and stuff like that? And in my head, I'm just thinking that makes no sense at all. There's a million dollar house here and you're putting like Ikea furniture into it. And I'm not against Ikea furniture, by the way, like there's Ikea furniture in my house, but I'm saying that if you're going to position the product in the market and want to draw people in who are going to have that, they're going to have affinity towards your brand. That's the essence of what's going to make you stick in their mind. So earlier we were talking about the difference between the host and a manager. And I think one thing that I look for, this is the, to get to a more digital marketing tactic, which I think is what Adam's original intent was before we kind of went on this tangent a little bit. But uh, I, I love, I love where we've gone though, by the way, I think this is okay. fantastic. I wasn't <laughs> expecting it, but this is great. Okay, so here's, let me bring it back to a more digital marketing tactic, something that I would actually look at. How many people each month search for the name of the company in Google? And is the company actually have a unique name, right? So one thing, and this is on my site, there's a case study on my site with a client that we work with in Georgia, Blue Ridge, Georgia, Blue Sky Cabin Rentals. And this is relatively public information. You could look it up by any keyword tool. 4,000 people or so every month look for the name of his specific company in Google. So every single month, it's almost like he has a high school, maybe basketball stadium filled with people that are looking specifically for his company. So what a what an unbelievable sense of momentum. What an unbelievable sense of, again, having the wind at our back, whatever analogy we want to use when people are looking specifically for his company. Now, they may also be looking for Blue Ridge, Georgia, Airbnb, right? There's people that search that and they have an affinity towards going to Airbnb and booking on that platform. And that's fine. Like Airbnb has obviously done a good job. Otherwise, people wouldn't be looking specifically for their brand. But if you're a vacation manager and you want to measure, do people even care about me? I think that's a really simple tactical number that you could look at. How many people each month before the sale were searching for Vantage in Ocean City? I don't know. I could look it up, but I would suspect thousands, if not many thousands of people were looking for that company before the acquisition because they had an affinity towards staying with Vantage, not other managers at the time in the Ocean City market. So the same thing applies, I think, to a lot of things. And that's when you see, that's when there's a stark difference between a host and a manager, in my opinion, is when you say, what's the company? What's the brand? What are you actually standing for? And it's property, like we're talking about here, but it's also memorability. So when actually someone checks into the property, this is something that Tyann talks a little about, a lot about on the Touch Day side of things with the welcome guides and the welcome books and those types of products. How often are you pushing your brand and your company? And then what do you stand for? Or what, why would someone want to come back and stay with you again? Um, and, and in our space, it's usually not loyalty. There's most clients that I work with don't have a loyalty program where they offer like discounts or anything like that for people coming back. Sometimes you see a little bit of that, but it's not a huge thing. Not like it is in hotels in my experience. It's usually just you have to deliver on that guest experience. You have to bring it all the way through cleaning, the things inside the property, the photography, the guest service. Actually, I feel this way too. We have clients who do a check-in about a day after they've stayed in the property or even some cases the day of check-in. They have a text or some kind of call that goes out. I think in some cases Adam might go through Breezeway or something, a system like that. And it's like, how is everything? Is everything to your liking, expectations? And actually that's a time to shine if you're an excellent vacation manager and something goes wrong. Hey, uh, we checked in and this is wrong. And you send someone over on a truck in 25 minutes and fix their issue. That's actually, even though there's an issue, I find clients that get phenomenal reviews when things like that happen. We had an issue on the first day, but they sent someone over right away and fixed it. And five stars is what they leave on Google or whatever OTA they might've booked on. I think that's fantastic because then you're really differentiating yourself. We were, I think we were saying this before we started recording, Adam, but the host that throws it up, puts the listing up and then goes, yeah, I'll just call someone if I have a problem. I'm, I live in California, but my property's over here in Smoky Mountains or whatever the case may be. And I can do it from afar. And you can to some degree. I'm not saying that you can, but having that like boots on the ground local thing is another dividing line that I see between a rental manager and a casual host that's not really taking it in the same level of series. Like I said, I didn't anticipate this to go down this path, but I'm really excited that we did. And I want to backtrack on my previous statement of trying to separate marketing and operations <laughs> because everything we just said 
entirely. That's another example, yes. <laughs> exactly. Everything we said, it shows how important operations and marketing are tied together and how everything you do is going to be part of that marketing process and the experience that guest has becomes part of that marketing and whether or not they'll come back to you. So yeah. I appreciate everything that we just walked down. And I think it actually demonstrates that this is much more complicated than even those of us who have been in the industry for a long time want to think about because there are still gaps. There are still blind spots that we're not thinking about. And just leading into this and putting out together an outline, I wasn't thinking through the operational side of it, but I'm glad you started at the property and I'm glad you started to talk about what that company persona is because I think both of those things are exceptionally important. Who do you want to be viewed at when you start to go out into the market? We don't, I can't market you until I know what your voice is or what your brand is or what your company persona is. And you don't know that until you go into your properties and figure out why are you unique and why are, why do people want to stay with you? So I think you're a hundred percent right. When you start this, you've got to start at the property level. You've got to get to the company level before you even get to a place of trying to think about any sort of outbound marketing, which I guess at the end of the day is where my thought was at the beginning is, hey, let's talk about what Conrad does on a daily basis. But I'm actually much more pleased to hear you say that you go into each one of your inquiries thinking down this path and seeing whether or not it's a fit to you. Because I would imagine that you as a smaller agency want to be selective with who you're going to work with. And you only want to work with people that have the right framework in place that you can be successful and then you can help them be successful. So what are you looking for when you're selecting clients like that? Yeah. And one thing to that point I want to say really quickly is the marketing can't save you. Let me make that very clear. And I actually have that. I said that to someone the other day, which is we are an accelerant maybe, or we're, we talked about like the gas and the car and stuff like that. Right. But like marketing is never going to save a poor guest experience, a poor product, right? You can push against it and maybe figure out a way to do okay and get maybe moderate results or okay occupancy or whatever the case may be, but marketing is never going to save you. And I would, we were, before we started recording, I shared a story about someone that reached out and said, I'm struggling to pay my mortgages if these don't book up enough. And I didn't want to touch that with a 10 foot pole because that tells me that a lot of things have gone wrong, maybe outside of this person's control. I don't mean to be rude or anything like that, but a lot of things went wrong for that person to get into that position where they bought a bunch of properties, they bought a large number of listings, and then they were hoping the marketing was going to save them and we rescue them from this terrible set of decisions that they made. But back to the management side, back to the marketing side, I'm actually working on a tiers list right now. And it's basically how I've organized things is almost like there's a different category. And then at each level, you need to focus on different things. So at the bottom level, we have people that are doing like under $200,000 a year in annual bookings. That might be someone that owns one, three listings. That could be someone that owns one listing and it's a larger home. But at that bottom level, I think you want to have, like you were saying a second ago, Adam, who's the ideal guest? Who's the ideal target persona of someone staying in this property? What are their characteristics? Where do they come from? What are they looking for in the property? And it could be functional things like Scott was saying, better have 12 plates and sets of knives and things like that. If it seats 12 people, it could also be, again, the location, the view, the uniqueness of the property, the way it's laid out. Those are all things. I think that fit into that strategy component. So an ideal guest persona or having an ideal guest target. At the next level, if we go to the next kind of column in this, in this sheet, and I'll put this out on LinkedIn so people can check it out, the brand website, I think that initial thing is like having a PMS actually hooked up and ready to go. You said that before we started recording as well, Adam, right? How many people actually have that PMS platform set up when they think of themselves as just a host? Not very many. I talk to people frequently that don't have that set up. So really, they couldn't even take a direct booking, even if they wanted to be honest. They don't even have the infrastructure. They don't even have the payment stuff set up. They're almost like they actually would be like, again, me earlier, I don't know what to do with my hands. If they actually were to have an interest in taking a direct booking, they'd be like, ah, just go on Airbnb. It's easier. And I've heard people say that by before. before, by the way, it's like just put a knife in my eye. I hate hearing that, but that there's people that don't even have the PMS platform set up and ready to go. 
a brand name. And we talked about that a little bit over the past few minutes, but having a recognizable and unique brand name, and it better not be called Beachside Getaways because there's a million companies called Beachside or Seaside Vacations or Getaways or something like that. Having a brand name that's yours that you own, Del Mar, is a unique brand name that other people have not used. No one else has used that particular name in respect to a vacational company. That's going to aid people looking specifically for that company down the road. So those are some of the initial things that is like, who am I going after? What am I offering into the marketplace? What's what is my brand? What do I stand for? And that could be like the website itself, having actual a framework for people being able to go in and do that direct booking itself. Those are like table stakes. It's like you walked out and play poker, you better walk in with a little bit of bankroll set up to even play the game a little bit and see if you could actually compete in the marketplace. On the SEO side of things, like getting into the more tactical digital marketing pieces, once that website's set up, it better be indexed in Google. It better be that when people search you on Google, they can actually find you. That seems like a low bar, but every once in a while, I certainly have people reach out to me who have a website set up. Okay, good. They have a PMS platform set up. Okay, great. But then I go search for the company name and I can't even find it. And sometimes it's not unique enough. Sometimes it's just they don't even have the right technical setup on the website to get things indexed. And those are more so things where we can start to slide in and actually provide a lot more value is getting them to set up and get those things uh, rolling in the right direction. Another thing that I would say is we talked about this earlier with respect to like photography, but Paul and I just did an episode on property descriptions. I think that's actually your first piece of content for your vacational company, whether you're a manager or a host, is the property description itself, because that's the merchandising along with the photography of the actual listing. So having all the right sections in there, talking about the uniqueness of the property, the location, what you offer, how you interact with the guests, what services you offer, that's your first piece of content. It's not a blog post. It's not a things to do guide. It's not a restaurant's guide. It's just the property description. What do people see? when they actually go to look at that listing, whether it is initially on an OTA or on your own website. I think your second piece of content after the property description is a guidebook. So that's our second thing that we have in our list here. So then it's when someone goes to stay in the property, the next piece of content you want to give them is here's their guidebook, whether it's through Touchday or another platform. Here's what you can expect when you check in, all the kind of unique characteristics of that as we kind of move along here. Social media wise, I think when you're new, you probably don't want to focus too much on the social side of things as time allows, as bandwidth allows, but at least go claim the names. That's one thing that we have in our list. Like even when you're small, go claim the names, have at least your handle set up so that people can find you and find what you have to offer out there on social media, even if you don't have the bandwidth or the time to necessarily go in and run that. Uh, I would say the same thing on email. Again, you may not have a lot of bandwidth in place to actually send out that monthly newsletter email or people reaching out to you, past guests, things like that, but at least get it set up. At least get that set up, plus maybe stay fine the properties. I know Silicon Travel is another product that does something similar to where I go in, I stay in the property, at least start to chip away at getting that email address from that guest so you can do marketing down the road. The you in 2025 is going to thank yourself for the you in 2023 getting StayFi set up, and then you have a few hundred people to actually market to as you get a little bit bigger, as you have a little more money to spend. So those are some of the things that I would put at that lower tier, and maybe I'll pause right there, but we have other things that we could share as you go a little bit deeper down down the rabbit hole. But my sense of it, like you said, blind spots as a jumping off point for this segment, my sentiment is that a lot of people skip foundationally, and they want to go a little bit ahead of where they are, and they go, I want to run pay, paid ads. And I go, okay, that's a reasonable thing to want to do, but let's talk about the basics of what you have set up first. And that's where I usually start to find cracks in the system, but those can be correctable. But it's like knowing what to focus on at first, and then once you get that foundation set, just like building the house, then you do the next piece, then you do the next piece, and then the next piece after that. So Adam, before you jump in, I think you hit on a good point, Conrad. And again, we've been dancing around this one. If someone joined in 2019, they had the luxury to be able to skip steps. I think as they come back now, all of those gaps, the skip steps are going to start to show. I, I think that's where there's always an engagement opportunity with you, right? Is to come back and say, okay, things are getting hard recognize things are getting hard and do that health checkup, right? I mean, that that's where certainly I would come from 
right, is as I was looking at a few of these, I would say, hey, go back and start from the beginning and know that you had the luxury to not have to do a couple hard things on your way here. Like some mm -hmm. of this stuff you could skip over and it was fine because, again, the wind's at your back. When it turns, it's going to get a little bit harder. And I think that's one of the stumble points. Yeah, I always, I've done analogies in the past where I talk about if you were going to open any small business, if you were going to open a restaurant and it was going to be the best pizza shop in your particular area, how many things would you have to do before you sold your first slice of pizza? An unbelievable amount of things, right? You'd have to get recipes and ingredients and you'd have to hire people. You'd have to get websites. You'd have to get things set up. You'd have to get a, a POS system to actually sell the pizza. There's 50 things that you'd have to do in order to sell a $2 slice of pizza, right? In the restaurant space, in the vacational space, maybe for better or for worse, what you have to do is get the property kind of furnished, put it up on Airbnb with a few pictures and you can be off to the races. And to your point, Scott, that's a negative thing a little bit, right? And that's why you hear Airbnb or actually Brooke pulled this out of the Q4 numbers. I thought it was fascinating. He did an update the other day on the revenue per property on Airbnb and it's comically low. It's like eight or $9,000 a year is what the average Airbnb property earns annually in terms of gross revenue, right? And we're not even talking about cuts and taxes and things like that. So that shows you that there's obviously a long tail hundreds of thousands, maybe millions, I don't even know, but there's a long tail of listings that earn nothing or right. basically get nothing. And then there's, of course, this the space that I'm more used to playing in where that property better be doing 50, if not $100,000 a year in gross rental revenue for it to even be considered financially viable from the manager side and from the actual owner of that asset side. So there's still, for all the people that have rushed in, I still think there's a lot of people who don't really know what they're doing. And I think if you're a platform like, like Airbnb, you have to be a little bit maybe worried in the sense of, are we going to be able to make people professional fast enough in order to have have our brand continue to grow. And instead, I think maybe what Airbnb should be doing is reaching out and partnering a little bit better with the VRM and saying, you guys can deliver a better experience and at scale across 100 listings or 300 or 500. Maybe we should be having you help the owner of the asset a little bit more instead of in saying, oh, you can do it yourself. You Can you do it? That's a vastly different sort of setup, doing it yourself versus doing it yourself properly. That's a huge difference that, that I see all the time. Yeah. So Adam, get it, right? This is your topic, right? So you've got a lot on this one. So Conrad, what do you, how do you think this plays out? Ultimately, that's where my mind keeps going to, right? We've gotten to a place where we've talked about why we think some of these hosts are where they are, right? They skip skeps because they had that wind at the back. So as the wind shifts, and I mentioned this previously, right? I think we're coming to a time where that wind is shifting and everybody's going to be really focused on the booking window that continues to close every day and start looking at those June and July weeks and wondering why they're not full. So as this happens, and I think it's going to happen relatively soon, how do you think this plays out for some of these hosts? Do they have time to pivot? Do they have time to do that list of things that you talked about? Can they still fix this? Or are they in a position where they're relying on, on the OTAs? And, and that is what it is. My, my kind of sentiment of this is that it takes a lot of work to get the first one out there, right? So if you're if you are that host segment, and you have the one listing out there, that's the bulk of your work, maybe in the base kind of things that I was suggesting a few minutes ago, it takes a lot of work to get the first one out there. It's not really that much more work to do number two, or number three, or number four, or number five. So what I'm not necessarily sure of at this moment in time, I have a an inkling of what I think time will tell if this is correct or not is what happens to individual hosts do they really are they able to do this and able to do this at scale I think the answer is no they can't do this at scale can they do it enough where they can be effective and they can get their 16 bookings a year that I'm pretty skeptical of I don't know if that's necessarily going to be possible or feasible for them to do so I suspect you're going to have people opt out for lack of a better term, right? It's maybe they throw up their hands and say, look, I like the property. I want to keep owning the property, but they would give it to a rental manager who could then take it from there. I think that's a very feasible path. And I've talked, many of my clients have seen an increase in influx in inventory. Brooks talked about that as well on his side of things. When the, when times get tough, people want the money they can sometimes extract from that vacation rental property. They would list it with the manager in that case, or they may realize 
this is hard when the wind's not at my back and they may list the two. Now, the trouble with that scenario is the obvious one, right? Demand may go down, supply may go up. What happens to your rates in that scenario? It's like a vacuum. They just get sucked down a little bit and it makes it a little more challenging. Now, the benefit that we're in today, the reason that I would maybe if you're that individual property host that's struggling or not getting what you want today, the reason to hold is that this is a cycle and the cycle may have gone up and you benefit from that. Cycle may, as, may be going down right now and you may be not benefiting from that as much as you would like, but you got a 30-year mortgage on the property, right? So if I was in that situation where I had the property, I believed in it, I believed in the value of the asset or the value of the location long-term, it may just be you have a lean year and you figure out a way to come out on the other side with a better plan and reset up the foundation foundational building blocks you should have had before and then maybe find a better manager or have your manager be a little bit more sophisticated with regards to marketing and advertising so they can be more successful so that you're stronger together. I think that's one thing that I do with my work. When we have a client, we have a client that we worked with for a few years now, came to us with about 20, is now at about 200. And the complexity of the work hasn't changed the whole time. But everything we do works a lot better. <laughs> we send traffic into the site and it converts better. We spend more money on Google because we're just taking a little bit of the revenue per property, putting into a Google ads budget, and we're spending that money and we're getting results from that. That works better, not because we're any smarter or we run the ads more efficiently today than we do that we did two years ago. That's not it at all. But the fact that they're now a bigger ship floating through the ocean and Airbnb isn't going to crash into them and run them over. In fact, they can get all the bookings they pretty much want without Airbnb at all. They don't even need Airbnb at this point. So I think that if you're that single property host, you have to realize where am I going and why? What time investment do I want to make into this? Does it make sense? Am I willing to write it out? I think those are all valid questions to ask. Some people may opt out in that scenario. And I'm not convinced that's that bad of a thing, to be completely honest with you. Do you, if you want this product and this experience to last for the long term, do you want the half-hearted host in here not really doing what they need to be doing and delivering kind of a subpar experience? I don't think I do. I actually prefer those people if it's not for them during these times to maybe go by the wayside, not list the property, sell it, move on, and leave it to the people that actually want to deliver a good experience. That's what's actually going to grow and keep people coming in and wanting to pay $10,000 to stay at a week-long vacation rental to the Outer Banks. The only way that's going to keep happening is if the experience keeps getting better and better. Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly with that. Now, I think the only thing that I would say in response to that is the example that you gave, especially around being able to weather a lean year is assuming that there's some gaps and space within the financing and the, on the accounting side to make sure you can weather that lean year. And I just wonder, and individual hosts make sense. I think that there's some opportunity for them to do that. But when you think about that at scale and some of the people that we've seen, whether it's Airbnb arbitrage, where they're just taking over leases and then releasing, or it's some of the other models that I've seen where they're actually going out and purchasing 50, 100, 200 homes, and then just running it all through Airbnb. Those are the ones that I think are going to have a potential, not only bigger reckoning, but also a bigger impact to the industry if and when they, they fall apart. Yeah, for sure. No, I think that's a good way to put it. Yeah. And that's the part that I'm really curious about because the people that you talk about with the individual hosts in one home, I agree with you. I think that they can probably withstand some of this downturn, take their time and see what happens. And then on the other side of things, I think that those larger managers are really going to have to face all of that laundry list of things that you just went through from a marketing perspective to figure out how can I pivot and do all of those things that Conrad had already explained to me that I should have been doing 10 years ago. So with that said, maybe to close this one out, if you're one of those managers, right, you're those larger managers or larger hosts that needs to pivot and get out of this if the headwinds are, are in front of you. Is it just that list that you gave us or what do you, what would you recommend? I think the list that you gave us is perfect for Scott and I. We're starting from scratch and we're bringing each home on and we're thinking about it on a per property basis and what's the company persona and how do we do this? But some of these people, like I mentioned, larger inventory of homes, fully relying on these OTAs, 
do you give them a different priority list or, or what is your suggestion for them if they need to pivot out of that? Yeah, for sure. And what I'll do is I'll post an image to this document that I'm talking about here in the show notes so people can check it out. But we have stuff all the way up through $3 million to a year of annual bookings. And at that level, it's, am I doing brand partnerships? Am I doing, am I getting press coverage about my company? What's my strategy for doing a paid search? How am I spending that? What's my investment there? So yeah, I think there's layers to this. So we broke this out, Adam, into lightweight, you know, or we call featherweight, which is under 200K in bookings. These are boxing analogies. 200K to 500K in bookings, we're calling that personal lightweight. A middleweight might be 500K to a million in gross booking revenue. One to three might be a heavyweight. Three million to infinity was basically that super heavyweight. So that's kind of how I see it. I'll put a link in the show notes to these suggestions and maybe we'll talk more about it on a future episode for sure. Perfect. Perfect. Listen, I think you guys did exceptionally well. I'm going to give Adam a slight pass here because you just have to keep in mind, Adam doesn't have to worry about operations. And that's the value. That's the beauty of Adam. And I, right? Show up and look good, man. It's a hard job. Yeah. The value is I ha- I go do all the operations side. He does all this side. So again, that that's part of it. So Listen, it was fun. I enjoy this chair, Conrad. I'm very good with giving it back to you. It's harder than it did a great job. Thank you. (laughs) So I think next week we're going to dig into kind of picking up our first owners, right? We had Brooke on, we had Booz on, take us through the details, talked about how to market this stuff. Next week, I think Adam and I have some pretty exciting stuff to share kind of about the approach we're taking and how we're looking at owner acquisition and really starting with compatibility. Do they match where we're going? And Conrad, that's going to go to our brand. Right. So we're excited about that stuff. So we'll put that up next. With that, who wants to give the plug today? Who's doing the review plug? I did last week. Conrad, I feel like you do every week. So Adam, what do you have? Right. Maybe maybe we're just playing hard to get. Maybe we just need to (laughs) turn the other review if you want. I don't care if you that's right. We don't need reviews. Whatever. But yes, of course. We want reviews. Please give us reviews. Give us a listen. Tell us you you like it or tell us what we can do better or things that you want to talk about. We're more than happy to take suggestions from the audience. I will say that I enjoy it. And Conrad, this was a great discussion. I feel like we could grab a couple of beers and and do this for a couple hours. So I appreciate the time. I will just give maybe one more little teaser that Scott just mentioned there. I think next week's is going to be an interesting one from an industry perspective, because I think it's a blind spot. I think there's a gap around ranking properties. I think it's something that the industry and managers have been trying to do for a long time. I think they've, as a tendency, this industry is focused on amenities. And I think that there's another way for us to look at rankings. And Scott and I are going to talk about a way that we're thinking about rankings. Yeah. Listen, Conrad, we appreciate it as always. It was great catching up today. And for all of you, thanks again for listening. We have enjoyed connecting. We want to do more. So reach out to us and let's get together. Thanks, everyone. Phenomenal. Thanks, guys. See you guys.